I'm saying these promo codes now online, but you can still join our Discord community, even though I have left the Discord community, but who knows, maybe I could join it again in the future. But you can get the discount codes from listening to me right now. If you've been following me, you know that I'm a big fan of the microwave and any day cookware. We work very closely with them and we developed the IO series, which is colored matte black. I asked for it early on and it's taken some time to get here and I am beyond excited to have it. But any day, it's changed the game for me and how I cook, especially for my family, especially now since I'm at the office more and I'm not at home uh, cooking three meals every day, never leaving the house. I'm now cooking those same meals, but they're stored in my freezer and my family can reheat them. So theoretically, I'm still cooking all those meals. They're just done in advance and they can be heat. They can be heated. They can be served in the same bowl that I cooked it in. And you can get 10% off any day with promo code Dave. So go to cookanyday.com for promo code Dave. Yesterday, I had about six athletic brewing beverages. I had two athletic lights. I cooked with two of the Mexican lagers and I drank two um, mango uh, day packs, which are the hop waters that are delicious. Athletic brewing, I, I really look at it as um, just like delicious beverage that is extremely low in calories. Athleticbrewing.com, you can use the code ATHLETICGIFT20 for 20% off. If you haven't checked out the best non-alcoholic beer around, um, it's really great stuff. In fact, I see more and more people drinking it. It's more and more restaurants. And again, myself, I still drink alcohol, but it's probably the, the, the beverage I drink the most every day, regardless of where I am. Cometeer Coffee. I did not have mine this morning because I'm out. I'm going to have to take some from the studio. Cometeer Coffee is the coffee of choice for me and people around me. It is as good as any coffee that I could brew. And you can get $40 off your first two orders of Cometeer when you visit cometeer.com slash Chang. It's a hell of a gift, guys. Let me tell you, if you send it to the people that uh, like coffee, they're, they're, they're going to be very happy about it. And 10% off Momofuku Goods. If you don't want to visit us at a local Target, Whole Foods, Kroger's, we're in many supermarkets and many great independent supermarkets, our full product line is available at shop.momofuku.com. You can get 10% off Momofuku Goods and use the code DOMO10 at shop.momofuku.com. And of course, make sure to visit us at Major Domo Media YouTube. We got all kinds of content up there, more coming. Uh, yesterday, I just cooked, I cooked 12, uh, 12 courses of Thanksgiving. And then I made, I think, 13 leftovers uh, from those. Uh, so that should be coming soon. We have a lot of fun content coming out and we're still experimenting. We're still going to... Um, find the right kinds of buckets of content that will be entertaining for all parties. Anyway, let's get on to the show. Welcome to the Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Domo Media. Thank you, Yola Tango, as always. I'm not sure what's going on with my voice, and I'm afraid to see a doctor about it, but through what, since New Orleans, when we're at the Thursday night game, uh, my voice disappeared, and honestly, it's still not back. We'll see. So this could be my new voice forever. Uh, exciting. We got we got uh, three things. We got an Ask Dave. We got a Slice. And we're going to do a top five. And it's with me, not Chris Ying. 
uh, who's not here today. Word of the day is ebu- ebulence. I never use this word, and I'm probably not going to use it well today. Quality of being cheerful and full of energy. Ebullience. 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 <laughs> Fuck off. I'm going to, I'm, I'm changing the phonetic pronunciation of the ebullience because, you know, ebullience is a better pronunciation. The man was struck by ebullience of children at a playground. There. Happy? Happy, you know? Anyway, I wanted to tell you something. So yesterday, I, I have terrible vision. And yesterday, I've been working with an optometrist, optometrist to like get the right kinds of context for me. I'm not a candidate for LASIK because my vision is so bad that uh, it, it would be too dangerous to, because basically you slice off your cornea with a laser to get it into focus. We found the right kind of contact for me. And I've never had this kind of vision before, even with glasses. And uh, I prefer wearing contacts. I've always preferred wearing contacts, especially when I used to line cook. I, I, I've told, I'll told you, I used to wear like goggles or sometimes anything over my glasses just so the grease wouldn't come in. I have an astigmatism, but the way my eye is shaped, I could never get the right kind of correction. So I've never fixed it. And it's not like people haven't tried. But yesterday, we found the right kind of match. Clearly, 46 years old, over the past 20 years, there have been a lot of developments. And let me give you a comp. If you on social media and one of the most amazing things you can watch on Instagram or talk, TikTok is like when you see like an 18 month old child with a hearing aid and they can hear for the first time. That's how I felt like yesterday when I, I was like walking around with these new contacts. People are laughing in the, in the booth right now. I cannot stress this enough. Everything I, I, I gone my entire life not knowing what fucking vi- like nice vision was <laughs> on the, on the ride home. Uh, I, I go to grace, my wife, I was like, have there always, has the red on the red light always been that red and the green always been that green and the yellow always that yellow. And is there always halos around lights? And the only time I've ever seen this stuff before is if I've been on, you know, mushrooms or, supposedly MDMA, who knows, something like that, where my pupils are so open and dilated that I'm seeing things that, well, you know, leave like light trails. This is how normal people see. This is fucking nuts. I've never seen, my entire life, I've never seen light like this. You know, I was at Major Domo last night and had dinner, and you park and behind the restaurant, it's a giant field with huge floodlights. I've seen this field many times. I've never seen like the glow of the light. Actually, you can see the light. And the doctor was like, you're going to, your night life, how you look at the world at night is going to change dramatically. I was like, whatever. And right when I step out of the office, I was like, holy shit, this is insane. <laughs> so it felt like the best comp I can give you is, it's not like things changed. It's definitely much more pronounced at night. But my astigmatism was so bad that I never saw light the way most people would see it. I would see it, but it was dull. So now, the way I described it was, I could see things like if you watch a high-def TV from like 10 years ago, and now it's like super, super high resolution, everything. So I was just walking around like a fucking dumb dumb being like, 
this is fucking awesome. That's that, that that's 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 my that's my story. So I'm looking at these lights right now and be like, wow, these are way fucking brighter than I thought they ever were. And I'm I'm just like sort of like amazed that I had no idea. Nobody told me. This is fucking nuts. Even if we told you, you wouldn't know. I wouldn't know. I know. But now I know. This is crazy. (laughs) So what's crazy to me is that the rest of the world was basically on mushrooms. (laughs) The entire time. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm, I'm happy. Check out your vision. And that's another thing that's happened. I know like three years ago, I was saying I got my teeth checked out, man, like fucking technology, unbelievable with your, with what's going with eyes right now. Hopefully you never even need to get those kinds of checkups, but man, I, I've been blown away with some of the stuff that's available right now. Anyway, let's get into a couple other things before we get into the three things. I was talking to a friend of mine and I've used this example before, but I just want to stress it again. I don't know why I'm using this example, but it's something that I've been meditating on. And I understand the contradictory nature of myself and the hypocrisy because it's also possible that next week I could be doing something like this. When I think about, I'm looking at a lot of plates. I always look at plates. It's one of the good things with, say, Instagram. You can see plate plating done the world over. And, you know, I used to have a really amazing, I think one of the very best collection of cookbooks anywhere. It's much smaller. I've talked about it before that during Hurricane Sandy, a lot of them got lost and it was such a traumatic experience for me. I just stopped collecting cookbooks for the most part. But I've always kept track with plating trends and how, you know, the ebb and flow and where we're at. And right now it's, it's hard to describe where we're at, right? It's certainly clean. There's less fuss but it's now moving towards more pizzazz. That's the best word I can describe it. That's what I think, right? More flourish. And it's also a sign of artistry. And I think that it's almost funny. Not everyone can do it. Most plating is redundant and a copy, and it's really hard to express yourself, much like a painting or an artist, in a way that no one else has done it. But you're still doing it in a way with the same techniques as everyone else. I know that may not make sense, but if you've made, if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. There's a way to do it that has originality and a point of view. And then there's ways that seem like you're doing original way, but it's really not original at all. And I'm, but, but I'm seeing more and more fabrication of plates, especially from the high end ambitious dining world where it's, you know, when, when a plate comes to you, each plate that has a lot of components, it's quite possible that, you know, minimum two people, maybe upwards of 10 to 12 people have worked on it with tweezers or squeeze bottles, et cetera, et cetera. And it's a, it's a marvel to behold when you see a plate sort of come to fruition and everything's there. I got to say at the age of 46, I've turned into a curmudgeon of sorts, not of sorts, I am, where none of that really is impressive to me. I, I, I'm currently in a stance in a place where I just want things as clean and pure as simple. And I'm not saying Italian rustico, not at all, but just something that is not fucked with, right? And as pure as possible is more, um, has more aesthetics to me and more of a point of view than not. 
and I'm not trying to say everybody should do this. I'm just saying you like what moves me personally. And the protein that I always go to is, and again, I could choose any protein, but I always use duck breast. Most times you see a duck breast. If you go to a fancy restaurant, it's sliced for you already. But a lot of times it might be a center tranche of the duck. So they take its beautiful, you know, whether it's the left or right duck breast, it could be dried out. It could be marvelously crisp, fat, perfectly rendered, nice, nice medium cook. And then they plate it as a perfect sort of like candy bar, <laughs> like a perfect rectangle, like a Lego block, right? And then there might be some edible flowers. There might be a fluid gel. There might be another sauce on the side. There might be, you know, all kinds of arrangements, infinite amount of things. While it looks beautiful, I, I almost feel like now that it defeats the purpose, right? Like to me, again, I understand that people may not agree with me. I, I'm just giving you my personal take. I'm, I, I'm not at a place where I would ra- I wouldn't eat that or cook that. Just give me the duck breast on the cage off and let me do that because there's something so beautiful about a, a perfectly cooked duck breast as is. And the funniest thing is many times when you're, you're cutting up a duck breast, you're, you're shaping it up properly, you're cutting off the ends of the duck breast, right? You're squaring it up. Those fucking ends are the best part of the fucking duck breast. You're literally... There's a, there, a lot of places have a meat bucket. If you work the meat roast station, there's a fucking meat bucket. Many times, literally a metal bucket where you're just putting the things that the, the, the ends and nubs of meat that you're slicing and not just duck into this meat bucket. It doesn't make any sense to me. So like, I would rather find ways to accentuate the, the natural ways of how the duck breast is cooked. I'm not, I'm not to say that it, it's not. There are chefs that can do beautiful foods, right? I think about Claire Smith at Core in London. She's fucking awesome. You know, it's almost like you have to, like, you have the license to do it because it's, it's so thoughtful and precise and measured that that is her way of expressing something. But not everybody needs to do it. We don't need everybody to cook and to plate in that way. You almost have to earn the chops to do that. And I personally think it's more interesting to find somebody that just like, this is the way it is. And this is how you're going to eat it because it was designed a perfect way to begin with. And I have a fork and knife already. So this is just my sort of point of view right now is I'm, I'm, I feel like plating is becoming extremely redundant and a certain sector of dining. And it doesn't always have to be that way. And, and you can look at, let's use Corey Lee. We talk about him many times. You can look at his plating. It looks simple, but it's not simple, but it looks natural. And that's the way I think about things. And not everybody else does, right? The world of Western gastronomy is really divided by the Gagnères and the Passards, really Passard versus, say, the Robichon Freddy Girardes of the world, two great late Swiss chefs. And then you have the other side of the spectrum, which is much more natural. And I'm always going to lean towards the more natural side these days and instead of the precision of plating of everyone else. So that was it. Just ask yourself, if you're a cook, why are you slicing that duck, that duck breast into a, a, a Lego shape?
All right. Like, is <laughs> why? Like, I, it doesn't make sense to me. Some people can definitely do it. But, you know, I, I, I just don't understand the point otherwise. Like, there's nothing more beautiful than a duck confit, like, crisped up. I don't need it to be, like, into a perfect crepinette, right? Uh, or a perfect rectangle. Actually, you know what? I fucking hate geometric shapes in food. <laughs> I, I fucking hate it. I just realized I hate triangles. I hate squares. I've always hated square fucking plates, rectangle plates. No. Unless it's a dessert, keep the fucking right angles off my motherfucking plate. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs scrambled, over easy, or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. Another thing I wanted to ask is, have we reached peak Korean food in, in New York? I, 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 and that's not a bad thing. But the reason why I say it's peak is I don't know if, let's use Moon Engman as an example, right? There's a great two-episode thing on uh, the Rhapsody of Nengmyeon on Netflix. Nengmyeon is like critical in my family's life. It's a, I would say, an acquired taste. Well described in this show. What I'm trying to say is this giant delta gap between modern Korean cooking that quite frankly did not exist 10 years ago. And we were doing it at Kawi in New York. And, you know, I would say outside of Jungsik and um, the Atomix team, we were still doing it, I think, in a different way, but it didn't, it wasn't really, now there's this explosion of modern Korean food. And now, and I'm, I'm really sort of saying specifically, say, in New York, I'm beyond excited about it. I want all of these restaurants to fucking crush. I just read there's a new restaurant. Kate Crater wrote about a new restaurant that's opening up on Herald Square Subway. Um, and it looks sick, right? Counter modern Korean. We have so much modern Korean that I've lost track. My concern is now we, we have Korean food, that is traditional, but what is traditional Korean food to people that are not Korean is extremely limited in scope, right? It's, it's honestly grilled meats, and of those grilled meats, it's kalbi. It's not even pulgogi, right? Pulgogi might be the coolest one because there's a variety of ways to cook pulgogi, and we, we don't have to go there. Like, it's kalbi, it's short rib, maybe it's pork. Bibimbap. Give me a, you know, some kind of Korean pancake. But it stops there. People haven't really explored the 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 the, the jigas, all the all the stews. 
all the hue, all the all the different ways that are sort of comp- like uh, compose of that uh, that make Korean food so different in Asia, and the unique flavors, and the panchan. It's pretty much the same. I'm not saying that it's not delicious. It can be fucking amazing, but. On one end, it's, a, it's just a, a small sliver of what Korean food is. And then we've gone the other end of the spectrum, and it's just modern Korean food in a way that it's amazing, right? It's delicious. It looks beautiful. It's so finesseful. But my concern is now people believe that is Korean food, right? That's Korean food. They're having sliced you know, uh, hiramasa in a, in a pool of red pepper sauce. It's delicious. It's fermented. Maybe there's like mung bean crisps on it. I don't fucking know, right? Sitting on a bed of rice balls. Deconstructed, not really. Korean, modern, yes. But nobody knows the in-between. Nobody knows what those dishes are based on. And that's not the same, I think, when people go to modern interpretations of French food, Italian food, or the Western canon. Not even Japanese food for the most part, right? Like, with the exception of, say, sukiyaki and some of the things you might eat at home, I feel like many Japanese foods are well known, right? The the things you might get on a day-to-day basis if you were eating at someone's home, well, not everything, but a larger percentage of people tend to know the, the canon of Japanese food or even Thai food for that matter or Vietnamese food than anything else. But Korean food, we've, we've, we've gone from like point A to like point like M. <laughs> and I'm not saying it's a concern. I'm just saying what the fuck <laughs> a little bit. I'm a little confused because nobody else seems to be interested in everything in between A and this other point that is far on the other end. And I don't know if we're ever going to get there. I don't know if we're ever going to get there. Like, there's so many different types of Korean food that I still don't even know. And I'm not seeing those kinds of restaurants open up. Not even in LA. Not even in K-Town. I just don't know if there's fervor to do that. Uh, I, I think I could blame... I think there's a lot of people to blame. I think a good percentage of that blame is on the food media. They, they, they just are, you know, I, I know this. What do you think, you know? Being able to see like modern cooking, what it looks like, and then applying Korean principles of cooking to that is probably how we jumped from point A to point M is just like, okay, visually I know like this is what ambitious food looks like. So how do I kind of, you know, pack this into a, a modern package? But like, isn't what makes Korean food great? The fact that it isn't modern? Exactly. Well, not... Exactly. Again, it's much like I was saying, there's some people that can do it, right? That can do modern. But not that I'm going to anytime soon. Not that I even asked to do it. But if I was going to open up a restaurant, I would just do fucking jigas. I would make my own jangs, right? All of the ferments. And I would, I would serve like $80 bowls of jigae. And I would have different rice from around Korea, right? And that rice would be expensive. And I might just do hue, right? I would do like hue into fucking 
gnarly motherfucking gigas that are awesome. There's like nothing you can do to make it beautiful. It is as ugly and angry looking as any kind of fucking soup possible. There's a restaurant I can't remember where we went to. And again, in K-Town in LA, there's many restaurants like this. As I'm trying to go to the restaurant next door to the restaurant, we went to a place that is, uh, I have to ask my wife the name. But, you know, it's like two Ajima's cooking, two grandma's cooking. I ordered a dish. When I looked at the menu and there's a, it's, it's like a Korean home cooking diner kind of thing. They don't really specialize in one thing. But my wife likes it a lot. And it tastes like, like hand, like sunmat, like hand cooking. I, I ordered a dish that is kongnamul uh, kimchi, like bean sprouts with kimchi soup. It's, it's like fucking super basic. The woman, and I understand enough Korean to know, is like, she's like, you know, you can just make this at home. <laughs> she said that. I loved it. You know you can make this at home. But one reason I don't make it at home is because I grew up eating at home all the time. It's one of those dishes that doesn't feel right for me to make. It's one of those dishes that is of the provenance of my mother and my mom's mom, right? It just feels like it would be weird for me to make that dish. So to have this ajima make it for me, it made it feel like home. But it's also not wildly complex. It's fucking like Melchi dashi, so it's like anchovy dashi, basically barely flavored water, and you boil kimchi and and bean sprouts, and that's your dish. And I was like, there's something so beautiful about this dish, so clean, so simple, that this is the kind of dish that people need to have an appreciation of to truly know what the great chefs, the masters, there are many masters making modern Korean food that are trying to make today. So to truly appreciate modern Korean cuisine, and I'm talking to you fucking critics, you don't know fucking shit unless you know what sonmat tastes like. You just don't. You can try everything. You can invite your Korean friends. You can read all the fucking books you want. But until you know what sonmat tastes like, you're never going to truly appreciate modern, some of the great Korean cooking that's happening in New York right now. And if you don't understand that, how the hell are you going to tell everyone else that's dining there? So, and I just chose one fucking dish, right? Like there's so much to Korean food. The older I get, the more I appreciate the complexity of it all and the vast number of dishes. Um, and I, I, I don't know who's doing that. So anyway, is that reasonable, you know? Yeah, definitely. And uh, great point about the sun month. I forgot to bring that up. And, and I had a couple more points, but I'm going to just bring up one more. Last podcast, I was talking about, you know, when you enter a good restaurant, it's like I said the word swag. It makes you feel a certain way. And I thought about it a lot. And I've been able to dine at really the best restaurants in the world. And I can say that without sounding like a total jackass more than normal. I've eaten at honestly, all the restaurants that I would want to ever eat at, which is why, like, I don't necessarily like, need to satiate a lot of those feelings anymore. But when you go to a place that feels right, and 
more often than not, they're destination places. They're beautiful. They have a sense of place and the decor and the ambiance is just perfectly dialed in. And it doesn't feel so crazy like you're at the, the fancy room in your house then you're not allowed to touch anything growing up. It just feels like, and I use the word swag, but that's not it. You feel important, right? And more importantly, and I've always used this, and I thought this was one of the best lines in TV history. In Mad Men, when Joan was doing cocaine for the first time with Roger Sterling, I literally, I was like, this is the best fucking line, and, and this is the best show ever. They're like, doing cocaine felt like receiving good news. I was like, that's the realest shit I've ever fucking heard about cocaine. Right. If you know, you know. And I was like, fuck, man, that's exactly it. It feels you you feel from what I've been told feels like you've received good news, like joyous, uplifting news. It feels you feel it. It feels like you like you wear this this feeling. It's so uplifting. You feel confident. And that's what a great restaurant can do. It makes you feel like you're receiving good news. It makes you feel more important than you are and not in a fucking condescending way. And that's the kind of restaurant, right? And it doesn't always have to be super fancy. Those are the restaurants that I would fucking bet the fucking farm on, right? Those are the restaurants that are not easy to make at all. Sometimes it's not like people can't try. A lot of new restaurants are trying their best to capture that feeling, that sort of restaurant zeitgeist vibe. But like, I was just, I'm just talking, it's more of a rhetorical thing that I want to express that feeling because it's, it's, it's a kind of feeling like I feel like I'm doing something that very few people get to experience, right? And that's the feeling of a great restaurant that has experience. And I'm expressing this because I understand that many listeners probably will never feel that feeling, but I hope that you do one day. Anyway, uh, let's take a break. We'll get on to the show. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs scrambled over easy or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. 
When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. All right, three things, three fictional artifacts, objects from movies, TV, books that I would want to own. I would love to own the DeLorean from Back to the Future. No question about that. I would like to own the Goblet of Everlasting Life from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Because then, like, I mean, not that I want to live forever, but I have that choice. And I could look at, do, do good. I could, like, you know. Granted, I think that I can only do that in the confines of that space. But, you know. And uh, I would want, uh, just off the top of my head, let's see here. What was Adam, Adam Driver's name in Star Wars? Kylo Ren. Yeah, I want Kylo Ren's uh, lightsaber. Because that's the fucking coolest lightsaber. Is this just going to be like a showpiece? Like you're going to hang it up in your, in your house? No, I'm going to wheel that shit around. <laughs> so not okay. I'm going to wheel that shit around. Yeah. That's that. Those are the three things that I would take. Uh, did I just choose all for movies? Yeah. I'm surprised you didn't say the uh, the time turner from Harry Potter. The girl, the girl uh, Hermione, Hermione Granger has this like, um, like I guess like a time turning thing that allows her to be in multiple places at once. And it's like that. That like I was that was literally what prompted. No, me. I could say just give me the fucking like uh, the the magic wand that allows me to do anything. Isn't that such a thing? In Harry Potter? Uh, it can't do anything. But Whatever. Like, yeah, sorry. You fucking nerd. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Moving on, guys. <laughs> um, All right, let's take a break. All right, we got an ask, Dave. I'm a huge fan of your show and all things Momofuku and Major Doma Media. But what I admire about you is your tenacity when it comes to business. I'm in the middle of building a small meat processing plant, non-slaughter, where we will process beef, pork, venison, bear, etc. in northern Wisconsin. There is a shortage of processors, and we already have several farmers ready for us to process their beef and pork. However, I am over budget on the building and awaiting approval on a loan to finish it. This is literally the most stressful BS I have ever been through, and I have raised three sons. My question for you is, how did you deal with the stress of finding investors and financing your first few businesses? I mean, there's no shortage of beer here in Wisconsin, but I feel like there must be a better solution for the stress. Thank you for your advice, and the, thank you for your advice you can give me. Sincerely, a true Packer fan. I was, I was watching an interview that Jensen Huang, the founder of NVIDIA, they're like the, one of the biggest companies in the world now with AI semiconductor chips. And I, I, I would... I, I, I venture to guess that a lot of people that were watching were probably like, that's disingenuous. I don't believe you. They said, like, if you had to do it all over again, would you do NVIDIA? And he said, no. Because the pain was too great. And even though he's a billionaire many times over, I actually believe him. Because one of the beauties about becoming an entrepreneur is that you don't know what you're not suited for, right? You, if you did, you would not do it, right? And this weird catch-22. The pain that you will endure is so great 
that if you knew it, you would not do it, which is why I do my best when people come to me for advice to say, should I open up a business or restaurant? And I always say, please, God, no, don't do it. Don't. I'd also suggest too, this is a whole other thing is like, you should own the real estate first. Don't raise the money unless you can actually own the real estate. And I think that moving forward, you're going to see re- the, the, the restaurants that do well are restaurants that own the buildings they're in and they get the tax back uh, pass throughs and all of the benefits because real estate is just fucking nuts in terms of how you can. And I'll just leave it at that. So I, 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 I have a deep well of empathy for you. I'm sorry that you're feeling this. And it's uh, also an extremely lonely process, even if you have partners. I, I would also suggest, and it's, uh, maybe you should listen to the one we did with Ron Parker from Hospitality MX. I meant that. Uh, you should check out Hospitality MX. It's an amazing resource. Absolutely amazing resource. You will find people that have done what you're doing, I guarantee it, that will be able to offer advice. You might be able to find mentors that have been through exactly what you're doing, literally, finding all of the permitting, et cetera, for a processing processing facility for plant. I know I'm not sure for 100% sure, but pretty sure. So you should check out Hospitality MX. I'm not trying to sound like a commercial. Ron Parker has made a genuinely amazing site for people in the hospitality business. And you should check it out. Number one. Number two, in terms of raising funds, which you can also do on Hospitality MX, I I don't think people understand the power of what it is. You can raise funds via this site for almost 14 years, 13 years. We never had any investors. I was fortunate enough. um, I put together a $100,000 loan, and I was able to pay that back uh, after 24 months. Wrote about it, talked about it a lot. And I then got loan after loan after loan, right? My dad helped me out and two of his friends. Um, it was way cheaper than getting a loan to go to school. But I looked at to that because of that, that failure was never an option. And that's like another huge point. Like you have to think about every day that failure is not an option. Like there's just not happening. Like you have to make it work. And I don't know if you have meditated on that enough. There is no alternative but to make it work. And you will have to do anything and everything to make that work now that you're literally pot committed in this. There's no way back. There's no way you can return from the journey that you're on. You, there's only one, it's a one-way ticket. You just have to sort of become that mentality. Um, and the hardest part is, which is why I always suggest to do this before marriage and before kids, because now my focus isn't building restaurants or anything else. Like my focus is being whatever I can do to support my family. Who I was when I started the restaurants is not at all who I am today. And the things that I desired, the things that mattered to me then are absolutely not even things I think about anymore at the age of 46. But I could be selfish as fuck back then because I had no one to really be responsible to other than myself and the people working with me. I don't know 
how to give you advice if you have a family to do this. That's not reassuring, I understand, but it's not like it hasn't been done. I always think about Heston Blumenthal and the fat duck, who I think had three kids as well, um, and he was about to go out of business. Like he, until he got three stars, it's a famous story. He was at Madrid Fusion. He was about to announce the closure, but he got three stars and his world changed. But he built his business on a lot of just sort of like dreams and almost no money. But you have to be so fully committed that you have to make it work. And I always say that if I took true investor money back when I started, I would not be here today because failure was an option, right? And it, while I want to make sure that I don't lose the money, right? It's an option. When you can't lose the money, that's not an option. You have to make it work. So the second restaurant, Sambar, I had put my entire life on, on, on the line pretty much. And I got a million dollar loan from a, from a bank. And, you know, as I said, like it's the, the reason we opened up Sambar as a Korean burrito bar on 13th Street, 2nd Avenue. The reason it turned into the restaurant it did from 12 to 4 in the morning was I didn't want to be up from 12 to 7 in the morning because even though we close at 4 in the morning, it's like two to three hour close, seven days a week. Like, I, I don't even know when we slept. And I was, I don't joke, I probably would have dealt drugs as if the, those are the options I needed to do to pay the bills. I would have found something if it needed to be illegal. That's what I remember. Thank God I did not have to do that. But I remember thinking, well, if this doesn't work, I still have to find a way to make it work. That's how stressed out, anxiety-ridden, and, and um, the sort of re- really terrible place to think about to be, which is why I don't think anybody should be there, which is why I always tell people don't do it. But if you're already in this deep, you need to find anything and everything, any possible way, any way to make income, Right? Host pop-ups, I don't fucking know. Do anything in that space, around that space that you can do. That may not even be part of a meat slaughtering facility. Because when you become a guarantor, I, I hope you're not a guarantor on it. The thing that stressed me out all the time is I guaranteed everything, every lease and every loan. So I was fully fucking invested, which adds to the stress, which again, I hope that you don't do. And that's, again, to sound like, uh, Jensen, like I would never do that again. I can tell you for sure I would never want to live like that ever again. So knowing that I had to live like that, I would rather work at a desk job, be middling at a desk job than to go through that fucking pain, anxiety, and stress ever again. Um, but unfortunately, you're not in that situation. So I, my heart goes out to you. It's extremely stressful. I can't imagine. So I would hope that you can get it finished. But if you need to raise money, I would check out Hospitality MX um, and then try to get a loan if you're that desperate, right? I would also suggest if you're that in it, it's better to get loan than an investor because every time someone gives you a dollar, they're expecting five to $10 back for every dollar you're taking. That's also very difficult to do because it changes your trajectory and your timeline. You need time to fail. Everybody needs time to fucking fail. And the problem with taking investor money, regardless of the business you're in, it doesn't have to be the restaurant business or food processing facility business. If you take money, the clock starts now. They want their fucking return. 
and all this altruism you might hear is bullshit. Everybody that gives you money wants their money back and then some, right? You can't just give your money back with inflation, you know, baked it. That's not what, that's not, that's not it. It's not a one-to-one. That's the road to becoming an entrepreneur, raising money is just full of trials and tribulations. So I would do whatever I could to not take investor money, right? This is dangerous advice. I'm not holding on to it. I'm just sort of talking out loud here. Yeah, I'm reading this and I'm just sort of uh, feeling how difficult it is. I do agree though. There are not enough slaughtering facilities. We, are, we, we need proper, proper uh, humane slaughtering facilities. We need more of them. A lot of them, a lot more of are closing down. You know, a friend of mine recently had a pig on his property. He's like, what do I do? I was like, I don't know. You know, like you don't have the setup to do it here and I wouldn't recommend doing it here. And I do think if we had more slaughtering facilities, maybe people would raise more animals. And I do think if you raise animals, as I have, I gave birth to a, a litter of pigs. It's one of the reasons why I took sucking pig off the menu because like, I couldn't kill a sucking pig. And also, it's a longer story I'll talk about another day. If you are responsible for an animal, and it doesn't even have to be an animal, it could be just fucking, if you planted cabbage, right? you're going to be more resourceful and frugal. You're going to be damn sure, whether it's a restaurant or for your personal use, that every fucking bit of that gets used because you're attached to it. Um, anyway, I'm sorry I can't give you the best advice, but I do think maybe the best advice is to, to reach out and to, to Hospitality MX. Again, take a break. America is the land of the free. We're doing a slice of life, but with great freedom comes great responsibility. It seems like we've completely forgot about phone etiquette as a society. Listen, for those that know me, I'm a loud motherfucker. There's nothing more upsetting that going back to airports, if you're in an airport lounge, even if you ask top, one of my top pet peeves is that motherfucker that has their earbuds in and is on a conference call out loud. And everyone else knows what they're doing. And I don't, it is a complete disregard for their noise pollution. And it doesn't have to be in there. It, it could be anywhere, right? I'm okay walking the streets to do that. I'm okay in your own car. But if you're in the vicinity of other strangers, you cannot talk loudly on the fucking phone. No. I think that you should lose the right to... Cell phone companies should take your cell phone plan away until you learn how to behave properly. I, I think FaceTiming is better than speakerphone. In public. I, I, again, I only see this on a, on a plane. Taking a call in a restaurant, you should only do it if it's like a nanny, babysitter, or work emergency, life emergency. And if you do, you just say, excuse me, I have to take this phone call. Or excuse me, I, I, it's simple. But you don't take it at the fucking table. It's ridiculous. It's like when Michael Jackson hung his fucking kid out the window. It's fucking stupid. You just don't do something like that. The only place where none of these rules tend to apply is like Costco or the supermarket. And that's usually, which one do I buy? That's okay. That's, that's like, um, yeah, that's like a safe haven. It's like entering a church. All right, take a break. 
This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. We got a top five, you know. What do we got here? All right, so we're doing late night... So we talked about this on a previous episode, but this is about late night foods versus drunk foods. Um, I mean, first of all, like, how do we distinguish between drunk foods and late night foods, right? And, you know, that I guess we start with that. Like, how do we define these, like, drunk foods versus late night foods? I think late night food, when I think about late night food, I always think about Blue Ribbon in New York City. The Brombrook brothers, they've had a great career. I, I'm envious of their career because no one gives a fucking shit about them. I think one of the brothers lives in Kenya now, and yet they have restaurants everywhere, um, and I love their restaurants. But Blue Ribbon was a trailblazer because it was the first restaurant that was open up till four in the morning, and you could get oysters and shrimp and oxtails and oxtail marmalade, like fried chicken. It's fucking awesome. So I always think late night food is oysters, something like that, right? Late night food is going to New York Noodle Town and getting, you know, some kind of Cantonese barbecue. It's still, late night food is still acceptable that you might eat during the, like, lunch or dinner, right? It just happens to be later and it has a different significance. I think it's a pretty clear late night food. It's, 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 it's things that you have to go to a restaurant to still eat. That's how I, I, I look at it, right? It definitely, pizza starts to, pizza and fast food starts to blur the line. But I think it's its own category because it's more drunk food than late night food. And late night food is in, at home, whatever you can get out of your fridge. But when you are out and about, it's when, I have always viewed late night food as you need to eat it with like some like pants on <laughs> and a shirt, <laughs> right? That's late night food. You're paying with a credit card, you know, or like that's, that's how I view late night food. I'm sure it's a myopic view, but that's how I personally look at it. And there's a lot of great late night eats. And I, I know clearly I'm biased to New York in Los Angeles. I would say late night eat might be going to, Let's see here. Well, the fucking LA sucks in this regard. Everything closes at like 10 o'clock. It's fucking Loserville. <laughs> we close at two. Okay, there's a difference. What, what's open? Taco trucks. Like That's not late night food. That's, that's late night food? There, no, I don't, I don't view it as late night okay. food. Okay, we'll, we'll go. Yeah. You know, might, why, you know why late night food is... I'm not going... I'm not, I, even though I've done it, and I've done it, I'm not getting tacos at like 10 p.m. on the regular, right? That's true. You're usually getting it like 1 a.m. Yeah, yeah, you're not. Yeah. You know, there's a great Korean bar called Tansongsa, and they have like the skewers and all that stuff. That, that was like my late night hunt. I would go there all the time. Yakitori, late night yeah, food. That's a, that's a good You know what you're doing? You're sitting in pants <laughs> with a shirt on. That's true. That's true. Yeah. You got to <laughs> right? be respectful. Um, ramen is late night food. Or is it a hangover cure? No, no. that's late night food. That's late night food. 
Hangover. Hang. Listen. Real hangover food is you can't leave your fucking bed. If you haven't had that kind of hangover, if you haven't had a two to three day hangover, then get back to me until you do. All right. That's hangover food. Hangover food is I think I'm dying. Why did I do this again? I hate myself. I hate myself. I hate myself over and over. And then just the prospect of getting to your phone and pulling some food app or calling your local restaurant that delivers Chinese. Otherwise that feels like crossing the Sahara desert, right? That's hangover food. Okay. If you're able to go out and meet your friends for fucking brunch and eat some pancakes, that's a fucking late night walk in the fucking park. All right. It's fucking hangover food, <laughs> getting a bowl of ramen. No, it's like, shit, I can't get out of my bed. I can't get that fucking shin ramen. I, I, I just, I think I'm going to just I think I'm going to die in bed. All right. That's hangover food. All right. Drunk food. It's literally anything that's open after 1 p.m. All right. Real alcohol. Here's what I knew, do know in my life. Real alcoholics don't eat. They don't really eat. They just drink food, drink. So like you're not. So that kind of drunkenness is out. I think the drunk food really is. Let's think about the cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. Drunk food. One of my favorite things to do is to go to secret pizza place at like two in the morning, sit on the couch and look at the drunk people. Leaving marquee. Again, if you leave Mark, if you leave one of these nightclubs with your friends, that was a, you, no one's going to the club to like dance with just their friends and then to go home with their friends. <laughs> you were unsuccessful. So you fill that void in your life with fucking food because you're now drunk. And if you're not hungry, it's because you're on fucking speed. Tell me I'm wrong. You're clutching your water bottle and you're sucking your lip like an idiot. Oh, it's getting way too real. Um, yeah, but then like... It's so pizza. What, pizza? It's always pizza? It's always pizza. It's late night food. It's tacos. It's pizza, late night food, tacos, and anything that's deep fried. It's pretty simple. And for the rest of the world, it's convenience store food. Like I was in Taiwan. Guess what? Drunken people just eat shit in the convenience store. Pretty simple. And They got like especially in Asia, those convenience stores like have way better like fried food and all that stuff in there. So good. And like, all you need to do is look at your app at what's open. If you look at DoorDash or Postmates, it's usually some kind of fast food chain. It's usually some kind of ghost kitchen selling you some kind of cheesy thing, right? Cheese, melted cheese, fried anything is pretty much what drunk food is in my opinion. I think if I had to do the hangover foods that like give me life, it is some kind of, I have to have, it changed over the years. In college, it was lo mein and fried rice and general sauce chicken and an egg roll. Okay. And I used, would wash that all down with like as many Pedialytes as possible and maybe a bong hit. It was never in hair of the dog. Much more in bong hit in my hand. 
as I got older, it definitely, and you live in New York and there's pizza. It's pizza, pizza, pizza. It's like pizza all day long. Greasy pizza. For a hangover? Oh, yeah. You need to soak up all that. Oh. Okay. Yeah. I can't. Well. Okay. Well, then you've never really been hungover, you know? I've been really hungover. Like, you described me to a T when you said it's like crossing the Sahara Desert to, like, get your phone. Like, I, I know that feeling. And you know the feeling leaving a nightclub unsuccessful. <laughs> God, God damn it. We right. gotta talk about that. No, but seriously, like, what what's what other hangover cures? Like, so you're you're more like the greasy school because I noticed you also listed like a bunch of like Chinese food. I I I believe grease lubricates my my arteries in a positive way and increases blood flow and oxygen to all the extremities in my body that need it. Definitely not backed by science, but okay. Like, I I know the greasy one, but like as I got older, what I know what I really wanted was soup. I wanted like kumtang or I wanted like some kind of like Korean really clear broth no. and like lots of it. No, because I'm getting my liquids from all the sports drinks. And sometimes I'm getting a liquid in an IV. I don't need to fucking I, drink I, I it. I do that as well, yeah. But I I think I invented that. I would go to see no. uh, I would go to a hospital in New York and say like I, I need I need help. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking, wait, hold on. What? Yeah. So you would just go to a you would go to a hospital and just be like, hey, Beth, Beth, Beth Israel. <laughs> what are they supposed to do? Well, they're supposed to treat you, but like. Well, geez. listen, if you go, if you go at like six in the morning, you're not taking anybody's. And listen, <laughs> there's the emergency room and then there's the side room where they, it's almost like a. You're getting like a fucking flu shot. Get in and get out. Right. And I'm going at an off peak hour. I have had friends go to the hospital because of alcohol poisoning. I have alcohol poisoning. They're going to help me. Help me. What? You think that's crazy? I mean, because they're like $300 a pop now. Like whenever, whenever you need something. Well, insurance could cover it. <laughs> yeah. Insurance ain't covering this. Like these days where it's become like a retail operation. But yeah, dude, that's so wild that you would like. If, you, if sometimes you would need to do it, I feel like. In my 100%. heavy drinking days. Yeah. Yeah. No, 100%. The real, the real solution here is the, is the IV and the cold shower. But I would still say the IV doesn't help. Man, I really don't drink anymore. And the main reason why you hear a lot of people not drinking anymore is because of the hangover. And I will tell you that it got to a point where my hangovers were literally two-day affairs. Like two solid days. Sometimes it goes into a third day. So your entire going into Monday, you know, is over. You're sick Monday too. Yeah, it's not worth it. Not worth it. Drinking yeah. stupid. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's enough for today. Next week we'll we'll come back with uh, or next podcast we'll have Chris Yang joining us. Give us five stars, and uh, we'll talk to you later. 